Back to Basics 2.0, Prevention of Venous Thromboembolism by Lisa Spruce. Venous thromboembolism, VTE, is a collective term that includes both deep vein thrombosis, DVT, and pulmonary embolism. Deep vein thrombosis occurs when a clot forms in a deep vein in the body. Pulmonary embolism is a serious complication that results when the DVT clot breaks away from the vein wall and travels through the bloodstream to the lungs. Patients can recover if the clot is small and the healthcare team members initiate prompt treatment. However, a large clot can block blood flow to the lungs and be fatal. Available research involving surgical patients treated in U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs hospitals from 2005 to 2010 shows that when patients experienced blood clots after surgery, clinicians diagnosed approximately one-half of the patients within 30 days after discharge and approximately two-thirds of the patients within 90 days after discharge. In 2015, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, challenged healthcare professionals to share best practices for VTE prevention because prevention strategies were not consistently applied across healthcare settings. The goals of the CDC's initiative were to improve patients' health and health care and decrease patient costs by finding, honoring, and recognizing healthcare organizations, quote, that have implemented innovative and effective prevention strategies or interventions, end quote, related to VTE prevention. The CDC initiative focused on promoting the monitoring of VTE occurrences, creating and sharing tools for prevention, and increasing awareness of the risks and prevention of VTE. Recognizing the importance of preventing VTE and affecting healthcare quality improvement, in 2016, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality published an evidence-based guide on the topic. Approximately one year later, AORN released the updated Guideline for Prevention of Venous Thromboembolism for Use in Perioperative Settings. Perioperative nurses should review this guideline in its entirety for more information. This article provides some basic steps that perioperative leaders and staff members can implement to reduce the risk of VTE in surgical patients. Practice Point Developing a VTE Prevention Program and Assessing Risk Perioperative leaders and staff members should establish and implement a VTE prevention program using an evidence-based protocol. An interdisciplinary team that includes frontline personnel from all perioperative disciplines, information technology team members, a quality improvement coordinator, a clinical team leader, for example, charge nurse, and a patient representative should develop a user-friendly VTE prevention protocol. The team should include a risk-based assessment of all patients and provide clinical decision-making support that includes the use of evidence-based prophylaxis when indicated. One of the most important aspects of a VTE prevention protocol is the establishment of a standardized risk assessment. Although there is no consensus regarding which VTE risk assessment tool is preferred, it is important to establish the risk of bleeding in conjunction with the risk of VTE. Ideally, the VTE prevention protocol would 1. Accurately detect all patients at risk of developing deep vein thrombosis, DVT. 2. Reliably exclude patients who would be unlikely to develop DVT 
minimizing inappropriate overprophylaxis in those of lower risk. 3. Provide actionable recommendations for permutations of VTE and bleeding risk. 4. Be simple to use in routine clinical practice, with minimal need for laboratory investigations or complex calculations. 5. Have predictors of VTE risk available to ordering provider at the point of care. 6. Provide decision support regarding those who would benefit from combination mechanical and anticoagulant prophylaxis. 7. Integrate into clinical practice results in a way that decreases hospital-associated VTE without any increase in bleeding. And 8. Lend itself to automation and even to dynamic ongoing re-evaluations. Almost any patient can experience VTE, and there are many risk factors associated with the condition. Perioperative nurses should assess the patient preoperatively to assist with determining the appropriate prophylaxis. The AORN VTE Prevention Guideline includes a detailed list of patient and procedure-related risk factors for VTE development. Patient-related risk factors include 1. Recent surgery, that is, within 30 days. 2. Slowed blood flow as a result of bed confinement related to a medical or surgical condition and limited movement, for example, wearing a cast, sitting for a prolonged period with legs crossed, a paralytic condition. 3. Use of estrogen, for example, birth control pills, hormone replacement therapy. 4. Chronic health conditions, for example, heart or lung disease, cancer, inflammatory bowel disease. And 5. Additional factors, for example, age greater than 40 years, a previous VTE, genetic clotting disorders, obesity, presence of a central vein catheter. Procedure-related risk factors include 1. A planned surgery time greater than 90 minutes or greater than 60 minutes if the surgery site is the pelvis or a lower limb. 2. Intraoperative positioning that includes reverse Trendelenburg, excessive hip flexion, or knee hyperextension. 3. Major orthopedic surgery, for example, hip or knee arthroplasty. 4. Pneumatic tourniquet use. And 5. Type of surgery, for example, bariatric, cardiothoracic, general involving the abdomen or pelvis, neurological, spine, plastic, emergency. When perioperative nurses identify patient or procedure-related risk factors for VTE development, they should collaborate with perioperative team members and advocate for the patient to receive VTE prophylaxis. Based on the patient's clinical condition, perioperative team members should initiate and document the initial time of prophylaxis, for example, upon admission to the facility, before surgery, after surgery. Perioperative teams may base VTE protocol on the type of procedure that the patient will undergo and create clinical support alerts in the electronic health record to notify clinicians of any lapse in prophylaxis according to the established protocol. Practice Point Mechanical VTE Prophylaxis Mechanical prophylaxis is a non-invasive method that personnel can use as an adjunct to pharmacologic prophylaxis to prevent VTE in perioperative patients. Routine options for mechanical prophylaxis include the use of intermittent pneumatic compression devices and graduated compression stockings, as well as having the patient complete foot and ankle exercises 
and encouraging early ambulation. The American College of Chest Physicians recommends mechanical prophylaxis for all non-orthopedic surgical patients, including intermittent pneumatic compression for patients who are at low, moderate, and high risk for developing VTE. The group recommends early ambulation for those patients who are at very low risk. Perioperative nurses who apply intermittent pneumatic compression devices should verify that the devices are functioning properly. They also should place sleeves, foot wraps, or graduated compression stockings on the patient before the administration of general or regional anesthesia. Contraindications for using intermittent pneumatic compression devices include 1. Any leg condition, for example, dermatitis, recent skin graft, gangrene, that pneumatic compression may exacerbate. 2. Known allergy or sensitivity to the sleeve or tubing material. 3. Cardiac failure or pulmonary edema from congestive heart failure. 4. Any factor that prevents correct fitting of sleeves, for example, exceeding the size limit, severe leg edema, deformity. 5. Pre-existing DVT. And 6. Severe arteriosclerosis or other ischemic vascular disease. Perioperative personnel should refer to the manufacturer's instructions for use, IFU, before applying sleeves, foot wraps, or stockings to patients. Some manufacturers may recommend that personnel apply a material, such as a stockinette or stocking, under the compression sleeve. Perioperative nurses should verify that the material next to the patient's skin is free from wrinkles. Also, the tubing attached to the intermittent pneumatic compression device can cause a pressure injury if allowed to press against the patient's skin, so perioperative personnel should place the tubing away from the skin and in a location without pressure. Contraindications for applying graduated compression stockings include 1. Any skin conditions, for example, dermatitis, recent skin graft, leg ulcer, that stockings may exacerbate. 2. Any vascular conditions, for example, peripheral vascular disease, peripheral arterial bypass grafting, severe arteriosclerosis, that stockings may exacerbate. 3. Severe peripheral neuropathy or other sensory impairment. 4. Gangrene. 5. Known allergy or sensitivity to stocking material. 6. Cardiac failure or pulmonary edema from congestive heart failure. And 7. Any factor that prevents correct fitting of stockings. For example, exceeding the size limit, severe leg edema, deformity. When a surgeon orders a thigh-high stocking, and the patient is unable to wear it in accordance with the manufacturer's IFU, perioperative nurses should consult with a prescribing surgeon to determine if a knee-high stocking will suffice. For both stocking lengths, perioperative personnel should measure each of the patient's legs according to the manufacturer's IFU to determine the appropriate size. After applying the stockings, transferring the patient to the OR bed, and positioning the patient, the perioperative nurse should assess the patient's legs to verify correct stocking placement according to the IFU. The nurse also should verify that there are no rolls or wrinkles in the stocking material. When removing intermittent pneumatic compression sleeves, foot wraps, or graduated compression stockings, perioperative nurses should assess patients for any adverse effects, for example, discomfort, skin injury, hypothermia, ischemia.
when adverse effects are present, the nurse should notify the appropriate physician, document actions taken, retain the device, and complete an adverse event report. Practice Point Pharmacologic VTE Prophylaxis Pharmacologic VTE Prophylaxis is the administration of medications designed to inhibit blood clotting. Examples of this type of prophylaxis include quote, low molecular weight heparin, low dose unfractionated heparin, warfarin, factor XA inhibitors, that is, fondaparinex, rivaroxaban, apixaban, dibigatran, vitamin K antagonists, or aspirin. Perioperative nurses should be familiar with these medications and their potential side effects. In addition, nurses should be aware of any contraindications, for example, active bleeding or bleeding disorder, acute stroke, uncontrolled hypertension, planned epidural or spinal anesthetic block, prosthetic heart valve, pregnancy, and notify the prescriber if they identify one of these issues. Perioperative nurses should review the VTE prevention guideline for a detailed list of pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis contraindications. Patients can experience adverse reactions to VTE pharmacologic therapies, including bleeding, hematoma formation, thrombocytopenia, osteoporosis and osteopenia, skin necrosis, calciphylaxis, and accumulation of calcium in small blood vessels of fat and skin tissue, arterioembolism, and injection site irritation, pain, bruising, bleeding, or itching. Perioperative nurses should notify the prescriber when they identify adverse reactions to VTE pharmacologic therapies. Practice Point Patient Education To decrease the risk of VTE development, perioperative nurses should provide the patient and his or her designated caregivers with written and verbal educational information on VTE so he or she is aware of the symptoms associated with the condition. This information also may help patients maintain compliance with mechanical and pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis. The information should address 1. Signs and symptoms of DVT and a pulmonary embolus, for example, leg pain, wheezing, chest pain, hemaptysis. 2. When to seek medical assistance and the appropriate contact information. 3. Reasons for prescribed mechanical and pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis. 4. Instructions for prescribed VTE prophylaxis regimen, for example, care and application of devices, timing of pharmacologic administration. 5. Adherence to prescribed VTE prophylaxis regimen after leaving the healthcare facility. 6. Adequate fluid intake. 7. Importance of movement and exercise. 8. Measures to take when traveling to prevent VTE. 9. Side effects of a VTE prophylaxis regimen, for example, bruising, bleeding, numbness, pain, tingling, discolored urine. 10. Additional laboratory monitoring required with pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis. 11. Effects of over-the-counter medications or herbal supplements on the efficacy of pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis. 12. Importance of providing information to other clinicians, for example, dentist, on the VTE prophylaxis regimen and carrying identification for anticoagulant medication use. And 13. Importance of informing clinicians if the patient becomes pregnant 
or begins breastfeeding. When the patient has undergone a spine procedure, perioperative nurses should provide information on the signs of an epidural hematoma, including back pain, numbness or tingling, weakness, or incontinence. Perioperative nurses also should provide information on day-to-day activities that can affect bleeding tendencies or decrease the effectiveness of pharmacologic prophylaxis. Patients should understand that contact sports, vigorous flossing or brushing teeth, and using razor blades when shaving can increase the chance of bleeding. Patients also should receive dietary information and understand that a diet including foods that contain vitamin K, for example, green leafy vegetables, may decrease the effectiveness of pharmacologic agents used for VTE prophylaxis. The AORN VTE Prevention Guideline provides additional details on patient education topics. Conclusion Surgical patients are at risk of developing VTE and can experience life-threatening complications when a DVT clot embolizes and travels into the lungs. Perioperative leaders and staff members should form an interdisciplinary team to develop and implement a VTE protocol. Perioperative nurses should complete a risk assessment to determine each patient's individual risk of developing VTE. If risk factors are present, the nurse should notify the prescriber and assist with providing mechanical or pharmacologic prophylaxis before surgery begins. Perioperative nurses also should provide patient education regarding the risk of developing VTE, follow-up care, and actions to prevent postoperative bleeding. When perioperative team members participate in risk assessments and implement prophylaxis and patient education activities, they can help ensure that their patients avoid a potentially life-threatening VTE event. This Back to Basics 2.0 article contains four knowledge checks. I will now read the first knowledge check for the practice point, Developing a VTE Prevention Program and Assessing Risk. Tanner, a perioperative nurse educator at a community hospital, reviews incident reports with Lamar, the risk manager, and notices that the VTE rates among orthopedic patients are increasing. Tanner and Lamar meet with the perioperative nurse manager and decide to convene an interdisciplinary team to address the problem. The team creates a protocol for assessing patient and procedure-related risk factors, and Tanner shares it with all the perioperative nurses at the department staff meeting. A few weeks after the staff meeting, Tanner audits the perioperative nurse's compliance with the VTE risk assessment process. He reviews documentation and interviews nurses individually about the new process. Yolanda shares that she completes the risk assessment on each of her patients, documents the results in the electronic medical record, and sends an electronic message to the physician for prophylaxis orders when indicated. Haley states that she began completing the risk assessment and documenting it for her patients, but she no longer does so because no one uses the information. Ruiz mentions that he also completes the risk assessment and documents results. In addition, although it is not required, he personally shares the information with the anesthesia professional and surgeon. In this scenario, who did not follow the recommended practice point? A. Tanner B. Yolanda C. Haley or D. Ruiz I will now provide the answer. In this scenario, Haley did not follow the recommended practice point.
I will now read the knowledge check for the practice point, Mechanical BTE Prophylaxis. Mr. B, a 64-year-old patient, is scheduled for a robotic prostatectomy for cancer. He has a history of hypertension, but is otherwise healthy. Dr. S anticipates that the procedure will last approximately two hours. Jamala, the preoperative nurse, completes the admitting process including the VTE risk assessment and realizes Mr. B is at risk for VTE development. She reviews the surgeon's orders, notes that there is no order for mechanical VTE prophylaxis, and assumes that none is needed. Jamala shares this information with Carissa, the RN circulator, during the patient handover. Carissa transports Mr. B to the OR, as she and Jarvis, the CRNA, position Mr. B on the OR bed, Carissa quietly mentions that Mr. B has a history of hypertension and does not have mechanical VTE prophylaxis devices applied to his legs. They discuss the planned two-hour length of surgery, and Jarvis requests that Carissa apply pneumatic compression sleeves to Mr. B's legs and connect them to the compression device. At that moment, Dr. S. arrives and confirms that mechanical VTE prophylaxis is needed and thanks Carissa and Jarvis for addressing this issue. Carissa applies the sleeves and activates the device before Jarvis begins anesthesia induction. The procedure is straightforward, and the elapsed time between incision and closure is two hours as anticipated. Carissa and Jarvis transport Mr. B to the post-anesthesia care unit, and Carissa reconnects the compression sleeves to the device before returning to the OR. In this scenario, who did not follow the recommended practice point? A. Jamala, B, Dr. S, C, Carissa, or D, Jarvis. I will now provide the answer. In this scenario, Jamala did not follow the recommended practice point. I will now read the third knowledge check for the practice point, pharmacologic VTE prophylaxis. Mrs. A is a 55-year-old patient who is undergoing robotic-assisted removal of an ovarian mass. When she arrives in the preoperative area, Lee, the RN, screens her for risk of VTE. Mrs. A tells Lee that she has a prosthetic heart valve, hypertension that is controlled with medication, and a history of breast cancer. Lee notes that Mrs. A's surgeon, Dr. T, documented all the information in the preoperative history and physical. After preparing the OR for the procedure, Benita, the RN circulator, completes Mrs. A's preoperative interview and places stockinette and pneumatic compression sleeves on Mrs. A's lower legs. Benita transports Mrs. A to the OR. Dr. P, the anesthesia professional, assists with Mrs. A's transfer to the OR bed, attaches the appropriate monitors, and completes the anesthesia induction. Dr. T, the surgeon, enters the OR and reviews Mrs. A's history and physical and requests that Dr. P administer 5,000 units of unfractionated heparin subcutaneously before the procedure begins. He also mentions that he will order a follow-up dose for 12 hours later. Before Dr. P can obtain and administer the heparin, Benita announces that Mrs. A has a prosthetic heart valve, which is a contraindication to heparin. Dr. T and Dr. P thank Benita for speaking up, and Dr. T cancels the order. In this scenario, who did not follow the recommended practice point? 
A. Dr. P. B. Benita. C. Lee. Or D. Dr. T. I will now provide the answer. In this scenario, Dr. T did not follow the recommended practice point. I will now read the fourth and final knowledge check for the practice point, patient education. Mr. J is 35 years old and underwent repair of a hip fracture after a motorcycle accident. On the morning of post-operative day one, he received an anticoagulant. The day shift nurse advised him to continue taking his medication after discharge for four weeks and that he will need weekly laboratory monitoring. As Mr. J prepares for his impending discharge on post-operative day two, he receives discharge instructions from several care team members. The afternoon before his discharge, Linda, the perioperative nurse who cared for him during surgery, completes a post-operative visit. Mr. J shares with her that he is worried about all the laboratory appointments that the day shift nurse had mentioned. Linda acknowledges his concern and tells him that he does not have to come to the laboratory drawing facility that often. She states that one visit during the four-week period will suffice if he is careful to avoid injury. Later that evening, his surgeon, Dr. G, advises Mr. J that he should attend physical therapy and resume activities as tolerated. Mr. J tells Dr. G that he is looking forward to shaving. Dr. G reminds Mr. J that he is at risk for bleeding and recommends that he purchase an electric shaver for this purpose. The next morning, Facilia, the dietitian, visits with Mr. J and reviews diet information with him. She advises him to avoid green leafy vegetables when selecting his diet. B, the nurse practitioner, visits Mr. J immediately before he leaves the hospital. She instructs him to take his anticoagulant as prescribed until his four-week post-operative appointment. Avoid taking aspirin or ibuprofen during this time, be mindful of day-to-day activities that could cause bleeding, and begin ambulation and physical therapy as directed. In this scenario, who did not follow the recommended practice point? A. Dr. G. B. Linda. C. Felicia. Or D. B. I will now provide the answer. In this scenario... Linda did not follow the recommended practice point.